You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, November 5th, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. Alrighty. I was, I was at the uh, football game yesterday. Did I mention that we won 56 to 30? Yeah, I think I did mention that. You're right. Actually, I was scared after the first drive. The first drive, they were like running all over us, but they, we kind of held them off there in the deep in the red zone. I thought, this is going to be a long game. We came back three plays later. We scored a touchdown. I'm like, okay, this is going to be all right. But one of the things that was really kind of cool was when I was sitting at Williams Stadium, the, the, if you've ever been to Liberty or... or or really looked at any pictures there. They've got something called the Freedom Tower there. Uh, I mean, it's this big, beautiful tower. It's kind of this imposing thing where pretty much anywhere from Lynchburg, you can almost see at least part of this tower. But what's housed inside that tower is the School of Divinity. You know, so all my professors, when I was working in my master's, my doctorate, all their offices, they were all in the, the Freedom Tower. But one of the cool things that Liberty does is they do certain, there's lights all the way up and down this thing. And they, when they're trying to honor someone or something, they will change the color scheme. And I'm sitting in the theater, or there, I'm in the stadium, and I looked over, and it, the whole thing was lit up blue and white. So I thought, it was just like this unexpected thing. Halfway through the game, I didn't even, that's why I'm just, you know, they're honoring Israel. He, you know, so it was just it was just kind of a cool moment, and of course I had to snap a picture of it and put it on Facebook. But it's, but it kind of when I was when I was thinking about all of this, and and I got thinking over a couple of hours, you know, about exactly what I wanted to do this morning. We're actually going to go back to Romans to, to discuss something I said that was probably you know, more fitting for a Sunday school type uh, scenario. But the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 29, there, there, there is stuff here that I think is, is preaching material that is very important. because we want, we want to look at Paul for a second, but we also want to look at God in election. You know, you know his, his ability to make sovereign choices. Because I think sometimes we struggle with this, this idea of God's sovereign choices where we as people, we have a tendency of liking to have some level of control. In fact, the truth be told, we like a lot of control over our circumstance and our lives. You know, so basically to kind of say that, you know, God has the sovereign choice and what he says goes, and that's, you know, that's sometimes kind of a hard thing for a human to really kind of wrap their head around. And some of it even, and I'll be honest, early in my faith, for many years, this, this whole thing that, that, you know, where everything was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, you, you know, I struggled with that, you know, to be perfectly honest. I'm sitting there thinking, well, that, does that kind of make me a second-rate citizen, you, you know, because it's first to the Jew and, to, and to the Gentile? Well, Looking back now, I'm kind of in a very different place. 
First of all, it, it's, it's not because of Israel being God's select, his, 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 his chosen, you, you know, it's not a bad thing, you know, even if I was a second-rate citizen to be a second-rate citizen to Israel. It, it just wouldn't be. But the reality is, and we've learned that because of Christ, we're actually one, we're one people now. You know, but histor- historically, that is true. Everything came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's, it's, it was a historical fact. But, but sometimes we struggle, I struggle with, what, what's, what's the deal? You know, I had a hard time understanding God's choices of why he did what he, what he did and why he did the things that they did. He did. And, and, and to be honest, and now looking back historically, I'm glad I'm really glad that I was a Gentile because the Jewish people have paid a, a heavy price for for bearing that 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 badge of being God's chosen. You, you know, you look back in the very early years of, of of Genesis. You know, they were already coming under fire from everybody around, and people were always trying to take them into captivity. Everybody, the whole world, it seemed like it was always against the Hebrew people. You know, why is that? Anytime you are God's chosen, even you now as a Gentile believer being God's chosen, guess what happens? In the spirit realm, you get a target on your back. Because the devil really doesn't care about you when you're not a threat to him. He just doesn't. Why is he going to waste his time on, on, on somebody who's not really stirring up things in, 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 the, in the world, of the spirit realm world? But think about this. Back in Genesis, it, as early as the, the curse, when, when, when God is talking to the serpent, when he's putting the, the judgment on Satan here, he, he, he says that, that the seed of a woman was going to crush his head. So right then and there, God is already telling the devil, these Hebrew people, through a, the seed of a woman, Messiah was going to come through that, and he was going to squish him. So if I was the devil, what would I spend the next several you know, centuries trying to do? I'd try to wipe out the Hebrew people. And he tried. But God always raised the standard, and he kept his people safe. But some of these, some of these questions of election, I, I, didn't, I didn't get. I didn't understand. And, and, and it was almost like there was this, when I was a, a, an immature Christian, it was almost like a jealousy thing. You know, why, why them first? You know, why, why don't I... And then when I really began to look at because of Christ and after Christ, I mean, I get to share in their blessings. I didn't have to pay the price that the Jewish folks had to for being his, his elect, but I've got to enjoy the benefits of that relationship that he had with the Hebrew people because the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection has made me one with them. You know, Eric over here, he's talked about us, us Gentiles being being uh, uh, spiritual Jews, and it's, there's a thing to that. I mean, it's all over Paul's writings. That we are the in, one place in the Gospels, we're told that we're the engrafted vine. You know, and, and then Paul even tells us that the, the believers alike, we're going to look at, that we are children of Abraham. You know, so us Gentile folks, we've got to enjoy and reap the benefits of this beautiful relationship between God and Abraham and the Hebrew people without really truly paying the price that they have. You know, so sometimes, sometimes being the, uh, the good child sometimes comes with a heavy price. <laughs> but first I want to look at Paul. 
Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for if I, if I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Actually, I'm going to stop there. What is Paul saying here? That his heart longs so much for the people of Israel that he would, be, he would be willing to be cut off from Christ if it meant for them to be saved. That's love. That, that's, that's love. Paul had a huge, incredible love for his people. And if, if, if you don't see it anywhere else, let me tell you what, you won't see me saying this about the church in general. Yeah, I wish, I wish I could just throw my, surrender my own self to the flames so everybody else can get to heaven. You're not going to hear me say that. That's, that's the love that Paul had for his people. So I, I've, I talked about, I've talked about in the past that these pericope, these smaller sections in the chapter, how we give these little subtitles. And the one that just drives me crazy in the Bible, it's in Acts, it's, it's the conversion of Paul. And I was talking about this is it's just like the conversion of Paul. That for me, that's it's like fingers on a on a chalkboard. You know, say why? Because Paul never converted to anything. Paul never became what we would consider a Christian. He was a Hebrew who understood Jesus is Messiah. He never stopped being Jewish. He didn't convert to anything else. He was just as much Jewish after Jesus as he was before Jesus. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you how much so. If you look through the book of Acts, where is the first place that Paul always went when he came into a town? The synagogue. He always tried to reach out to his own people first. But he had a calling on his life to, to connect and to reach out to Gentiles. But he never stopped trying to reach out to, to the Jewish people. He always went to synagogue first. Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Where's the only place in the Bible that we see that he doesn't do that first? Philippi. You want to know why? We have no evidence that there was ever a synagogue ever there. So the only time you don't see Paul going to synagogue first is because we don't think there was a synagogue there at all. You know, so, so Paul was always longing and loving his for, longing for his people and loving his people, and he longed so much for them to embrace Christ as their Messiah. You know, this 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 was a heavy burden on his heart to the point that he says it's he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart over this thing. He has he has this anguish and sorrow in his heart about his own people rejecting Christ, and he would be willing to take their place if he could. <clears throat> That's pretty significant. You want to talk about, I have a heart for the Hebrew people. It doesn't touch anything like what you read here in Romans 9, 1 through 4. I mean, that's love. Continuing in 4, it says, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And then them trace the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God, uh, God over all, forever praised. Amen. 
So you want to talk about if, if, you, if you were a people group and you wanted to make a resume of, of, of really good things about your people group, this would be it. For the Jewish people, adoption in the sonship, divine glory, covenants, the covenants, the receiving of the law with Moses, the, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, all of these things, the ancestry of Christ, that, that, these are huge things. And I could see why he would have such a love for his people, because these are a very significant number of things where God's rescue plan always involved the Hebrew people. So if we are to try to ignore what is going on in Israel right now, or if we are to, or if we are to not value the, the Jewish people in the way that Paul and Jesus does, we're falling short. Because he's really done some incredible things through this group, this group of people. And again, all of us have reaped the benefits of God's relationship with the Hebrew people. There's nothing to be jealous about here. I thank God that he had that relationship, that he continues to have that relationship with the Hebrew people. I thank God that he still has his eye on Israel, and he neither sleeps nor slumbers. I, I thank God that Israel's still the apple of his eye, the, the thing that he watches over day and night. I thank God for that. Because they, I have reaped such incredible benefits through this group of people. Messiah, I was introduced through, to Jesus through the Hebrew people. So if you don't think what's going on over, over in Israel right now isn't significant, you're missing something very big. But it is not as though God's word had failed. Talking about the, the, the Hebrew people that, that didn't accept Christ. For we know that for we know all that are descendants, we know not all, not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants, they are all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Don't get to a, here we go. In other words, the explanation. It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promised who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. There's the point that Eric's been telling you for years. It's, it's not just a biological lineage that makes you a child of Abraham. It is not just who your family history, who you can trace it back to. It is your choices. It, 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 is, it is those it is those who, who, who are part of the promise, who have accepted this relationship with Christ. These are the true children of Abraham. But this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children will conceive at the same time by their father Isaac. So we're talking about the patriarchs, and we're really starting to get into election. We're going to start getting into his choices, election. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purposes in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it was written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. We'll address that in a second. What's really important before we get to this, this Jacob I loved, Esau I hated thing, 
is God makes choices of who he calls. You know, we, we, we have these roles of who we think that God should use or what God should do. You know, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff that goes on in the Middle East and the fight over the, the Holy Lands, again, this goes, back to, this goes back to a fight between Abraham's two sons. His firstborn son Esau, no Esau, his first, Ishmael, his firstborn son Ishmael, by human law, his descendants would have had the rights to what's now the Holy Land. But that wasn't God's plan. God isn't bound by air rules. Air rules at that time in that culture would have given it all to Ishmael. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to bless the world through Jacob. God gets to choose. So he wasn't even bound by this thing where, where Jacob wasn't even the firstborn of his family. He was the secondborn of his family. God gets to choose who he wants to do his purpose and to do what he wants done in this world. And it's kind of hard for us to second guess or to criticize God's decisions. Why? And we're going to look at this, but because he's God. Not only does he have the final say, when God makes decisions and God makes choices about things, we can only look at things that are in front of us. God gets to look at the history, the present, and the future. When God makes decisions, he's making them on a level that you and I could never understand or ever possibly do. So God's decisions are wise decisions. When he chooses one to, be, to, to exalt and one not to exalt, he is using wisdom that only he has. He's using a wisdom that only he can possess. And he's not bound by our rules. You know, there's, there's so many things just in the beginning of the story, like I said, between Ishmael or even Esau not being the, 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 the son where everything kind of came through because he was the oldest. He was born first. But Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Do you think this is a good interpretation in English? It's not. Do we think that God actually hated Esau? He didn't hate Esau. What's 1 Corinthians 13? God is love. When we look at all the things that God is, we can know that God doesn't hate. He didn't hate Esau the way that the English translation probably depicts it. We do know that Jacob was the pick and Esau was not the pick. We know that he may have even had a, a, a different relationship with Jacob than he had with Esau but if he had, do you realize if you continue to read through their stories, God blessed Esau. I mean, Esau had, he had a lot of stuff. God blessed him. He, he did things through Esau. In fact, Jacob, when, when he thought Esau was coming after him, he got a little nervous because Esau was powerful. He had lots of folks that followed him. So God blessed, he didn't hate Esau. So this, this English translation, it just, it just does not do justice for what the scripture is trying to say. He's saying that Jacob was his pick and not Esau. He had a relationship with Jacob that he probably didn't have quite the same relationship that, 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 with, with, with Esau. You know, and this, was, this is something when, when Eric did his, 
when Eric did his, his Hanukkah talk last, last year, and I didn't get this. I never knew. I never understood. I never, I never, I didn't understand what the word Israel meant, you know, fighting with God. Somehow I've missed it. I missed that. But I do know that Jacob, he, he, he fought against the God. So I guarantee you, even when, when, when God selected Jacob, this guy who came out of the womb fighting, you know, trying to grab his brother's heel, you know, this guy who resisted and, and fought with God and did all these things and just, 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 just fought against God, God knew that one day he would be Israel. God knew that this man who was a, who was a guy that was just, just, just wanted to fight on the wrong side would someday fight with him. And not against them. That's why God has the ability to make these choices. He knows the end. He knows what's going to happen in, in our lives. So sometimes, even in their own lives, have you ever wondered why some of the things that happens in our lives has happened? Have you ever wondered why things that we think that God should have done for us or through us or something that, some blessing that God should have given us that he didn't give us, you know, I, I think about an old Garth Brooks song. You know, I thank God for unanswered prayers. And he's, and he's, he's at a football game, and he sees, he sees, oh, this is the woman I prayed for. I, I prayed to God for this woman, but now I've got this wife. It's like, I thank God that he didn't answer that prayer. So God, when he answers their prayers and he makes these selections, it's because he knows what's best for us, even when we don't. So God's sovereign choice we don't have to understand. Because let me tell you what, this side of heaven, you're not going to understand some of God's decisions. You're not. You can't. Who knows? We get on the other side, he's still, it's his sovereign decision to maybe not even explain it on the other side. Who knows? But we have, this is where faith comes in. Knowing that the God who wills, wields, the God who wields the, the ability to make sovereign choices that don't need to be explained to humans, that he's making those decisions and those choices, and he calls us or doesn't call us according to what he knows is best for us. Because guess what? God has always had your best interest in his heart. He just always has. You look through the entire history, the entire history of Israel, there were sometimes disciplines. There were sometimes things that happened. I'm sure some of them asked, would have had to have asked, God, what's going on? Do you really know what you're doing here? When they were in exile, I'm sure someone was like, God, this, isn't, this wasn't what I had planned. Have you ever felt like in your life that you were in a period of exile? I'm not talking about being dragged off by Assyrians and Babylonians. Have you ever in your life, have you ever in your life just felt like you were alone? That, that, that some circumstances or situations have put you in a place where you just, you, just, you just felt alone and in a dark place and you wondered if God was even seeing you or hearing you? I can assure you this, just like with all of these people in the history of Israel, when he's allowed you to walk through these dark places, he has always been with you. He has always had your best interest at heart. And sometimes the painful stuff is actually even used for our betterment. 
I, I can tell you every lesson I've learned in life that has stuck, it's because I've done it wrong and it hurt. And I've learned through, through pain, you know, not to make some of the stupid decisions I've made. Well, well, when God chooses it and he elects to send us places or to have us do things, he knows the end game and he is taking care of you. It's sometimes hard to understand that. And sometimes we want to question God. What shall we say then? Oh, I love this about Paul. Paul, is, Paul has, this, he has this attorney mind. He has this, he has this Pharisee lawyer mind. He likes to give examples and to explain things and to put it in different words so it's easier to understand. So we're talking about this election. So what shall we say, say then? Is God unjust? I was just talking about that. Have we ever asked that question? Have we ever truly asked ourselves or anyone else, is God truly just? I have. You know, my, my waning years as a paramedic and and. Like I said, my last two weeks of, of actually working as a paramedic, not kind of that year or two lag where I was still certified, but I wasn't really doing anything anymore. Those last two active weeks of me being on the ambulance, I lost three babies in two weeks. And let me tell you what, I question the justness, the justice of God. I'll tell you what, I, I had my Sinai moment. You, you know, I, I, I remember going outside the church, I mean, shaking my fist at heaven. Why? What are you doing? Do you know what you're talking about? I, I'm going to be honest. If, if we don't get honest with ourselves and our shortcomings, and when we've fallen short, we're not helping anybody. So let me tell you what, I have been there. I have questioned the justness the fairness and the loving kindness of God. I just have. When most of your adult life you've worked in places and seen things where, where the whole reason you exist is because bad things happen and they need somebody to go deal with it. When that's been kind of your job for three decades, you have a tendency of sometimes when you're weaker in your faith, the wonder is like, what God are you thinking? Have you abandoned us? Are you even watching I remember the one, this wasn't even one of those three children. I was doing an inter-hospital transport from Winchester to, to some place in Maryland. This kid had a stint. He was like eight years old. He had a stint in his, his, his brain, and it had gotten clogged. And he was in so much pain, and he was on that cot. And we're trying to, um, we're, we're, we're trying to get to this hospital in Maryland, down around the city, uh, Shady Grove, Shady Grove Hospital. And this kid was reeling in pain. And I remember being down on the, down on the ground with the, on the ambulance with my knees on the ground just holding this little kid. Just stroking his head. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just hang in there, buddy. Just 45 more minutes. Just 30 more minutes. Just 20 more minutes. Just hang in there. That child died on the operating table. So I questioned, I questioned, but why? God's election, God's election, and I, I understand, and I've preached so much about free will, and I've preached so much about bad things just happened here because sin's in the world, but there is still that, that, 
that little piece of even those things that, that involves God's election. And I've had to ask myself, I ask myself over and over and over, why God? If there was just one, couldn't you just help me save this one? I'm telling you what, being a medic stunk. I mean, it was all exciting in the beginning, but I'll tell you what, when, you, when you're dealing with people who are dying, people that you don't think should be dying, it's a hard place to be. Your fire rescue personnel, they deal with stuff that you can never imagine. But God's election, why? Are you just God? Are you paying any attention? He asks, is God unjust? He says, not at all. Explanation point. Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. You know what? Maybe if I had seen that passage, I'm sure I'd seen that passage. I've been following the Lord since I was a teenager. I'm sure I've read that many, many times, but I never really would have applied that to my circumstance when I was a medic. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on who I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but God's mercy. God always acts in merciful ways toward his people. Here's the problem, because that's who he is. That's his character. He is a God of mercy. It's a big piece of who he is. The problem is, is what we view as mercy and what he views as mercy isn't always on the same plane. You know, when my father died, there was, there was that time, that six months or so leading up to it, where him dying to me would not have seemed like a mercy to me. Because it was just like, that's my daddy. I don't want to lose my dad. I, I can't even, you know, a year and a half later, I'm still trying to wrap my head around a world without my father. But leading up to that time, I, I, would, I would not have seen my dad's death as a mercy. But when God took him, he was in misery. When God took him, he was praying to God, take me. He would tell me, I just want to go to sleep and wake up with Jesus. So something even like death to us, sometimes we can't wrap our heads around how that could be a mercy. But to my father it was. God understood that that death was a mercy. Why? Why is that? You know, so I think we view mercy, what's merciful, through a lens of how does it affect us and that, how it affects those around us or the person that the action is taken against. You, you, you know, this, 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 this young child, this eight-year-old child that died on the operating table, who knows if God had not taken him, 
And that shunt had completely blocked up. He could have had a stroke and, and just been a vegetable for the rest of his life, spending all of his years in a bed not being able to move. I don't know. Only God knows that. But the choice to take him was God's choice. And I guarantee you, because I know the way my God thinks and the way he works, I know it was a mercy, even if I can't even understand it. So when he told Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, we don't get to judge whether that's the right thing or not. When God does it, it's the right thing. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't even have to feel right to us because God looks at death and time and pain. He looks at it very differently than the way we look at it. We don't get to be the judge of God. We just can't. It's not who we are. He's our judge, not the other way around. We don't get to judge his actions. We do. And we continue. We, we will continue to do that probably until the day that we die and go to be with him. But the thing that I do know is that my God loves us and that he has a kind heart and he's full of mercy. His mercies are new Every morning. Remember we talked about that when we talked about Israel being taken away by the, by, the, by the Assyrians and in this case the Babylonians. Even Jeremiah recognized the worst possible scenario that he could have imagined watching his people being stripped out of his city and called off into captivity. He still had the, 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 the forethought or the ability to say God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, I wish I could be like Jeremiah. I'll tell you what, the prophets, we have so much to learn from them. I wish I could just for a second in the middle of my worst case scenario to be able to say, great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Can't even wrap my head around it. I can't even wrap my head around it. Man, the prophets. They all had relationships, except for maybe, maybe Jonah. Jonah's relationship with God's probably closer to mine than some of these others. But just to be able to say that who God has served had mercy on, it was his choice, and his compassion was his choice. It had nothing to do with what I wanted, it had nothing to do with my efforts, it had all everything to do with him. And Paul. I love this guy. I mean, he just keeps driving this home. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, so that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Paul uses the example of Pharaoh, and it's a good one. We have seen this over and over in the history of Israel. The one that jumps out at me even more than Pharaoh was Nebuchadnezzar. This was a, this this guy. I mean, he makes he makes the the great big gigantic golden Nebuchadnezzar and says, "Hey, you got to bow down to this thing." Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. No way. But God raised Nebuchadnezzar up. 
Because he needed the, him to, to do a work, to even, even if it's in, in pain and, and, and through this, this, this time of being taken away from, from their land, he was using Nebuchadnezzar to break something in his people. He was breaking this, this propensity or this, this desire, this need to seem to go back to idols. And he truly did do that. And do you think that God was calling his shots when Nebuchadnezzar was in charge? Oh, absolutely. Nebuchadnezzar started getting a little too big for his britches, and God dealt with him. God raises who he wants up to raise, and he, he brings down who he wants to bring down. God is, has ultimate say in what happens in the world and in their governments. You know, Messiah, the government was rest on his shoulders. So that's when, I ta- when I've talked about needing to pray for our president. You, you know, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a leaning hard right guy. When I, I said, we're supposed to be praying for our president. Not, not some of the times when I listen to him, I'm like, my Lord, what's going on? How did we get to this place? Here's the thing, though. Biden wouldn't be president unless God said, I wanted Biden president. So when I criticize Biden, I'm criticizing God's choice, his election. And again, you don't have to understand it. I don't understand it. These last few years, I feel like I'm just walking around in a political fog, just watching the news. It's like, what's next? But God chooses who he rises up and who he takes down. And while they are in these places, they are, they are fulfilling God's purposes and what he wants them to do. And again, we don't have to understand it or even get how it works. But we need to trust God. One of you may say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? So what is he saying here? We have, this, we have this propensity or this tendency to want to criticize the way God does things. But we are the created thing. We are not the creator. Again, we just have to have the faith that he knows what he's doing and that he's consistent with the character that we know about him from the Bible. Why did you make me like this? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, even about simple things. God, why did you, why did you make me so I've got these love handles? I did back in the day, even when I was athletic and I did push-ups and crunches, I still had this thing of love handles. God, why did you do that? I don't get to ask that question. It's not my decision. I tried to get rid of them. It never worked. But the clay doesn't get to ask the potter, why did you do it this way? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Do you realize? And that's the other really cool thing about God and election. He may call some to be pastors and evangelists and teachers and all these cool things. But he's also molded the person 
who sweeps the floor and empties the trash. He also molded the person who makes sure the AC comes on when it's supposed to come on. He also molds the person who does all the little functions around the building and the church and everything that has to be done. And you want to know what? The cool thing about God is he, when he did this, he knew that he needed all of these things to be done in his church. So he made them the way he made them, and he brought us all together to do a certain task. And we just need to, we need to stay in our lane and trust God. And if he's called you to do a big thing, great. If he's called you to do a little thing, let me tell you what, that little thing in your mind is no more big or small than what any pastor or any evangelist has ever done. Every job in God's eyes is as important as the other. Well, I can tell you that in a natural sense. Let me tell you what, let's just use my, 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 where I work full time as an example. You know what? You might not think that being the janitor is an important thing. Well, I'll tell you what, we got hundreds of people in that building you run out of toilet paper and nobody's there to replace it, you're going to realize how important the janitor is. And that janitor's role in the operation of that college is every bit as important as the president's. They just do different stuff. That's why they're so important too. And when we start climbing that ladder and we start getting those fancy degrees and we start getting the bigger jobs, we should never, ever look down on anyone because their role is every bit as important as their own. My goodness, the waitress that waits on us. Man, I'd starve to death if it wasn't for her. <laughs> well, then I'd have to ask Sue, will you make me some sandwich, please? <laughs> uh, so. Yes, as long as there's Dunkin' Donuts, I won't starve. I can assure you that. Actually, I wasn't picking on Sue there. Trust me, I would, that, that, was not, that was not the purpose of that. But I'm just saying I appreciate the people who serve in these capacities. But if God, although choosing to show his wrath and to make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. You know what? That's a big question. Let's read that again slower. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction? Have we seen that in the Bible? I talked about that prophet. Who's that prophet I said was probably the most like? Jonah, the rebellious one? The one that's like, God, no way am I going to do that. I'm going to run far away. That Jonah? Let me tell you something about Jonah. Were these people who, who God was going to show his, his wrath and his power to be known on the Assyrian people. That's who Nineveh was. When he wanted him to go preach out against Nineveh so that they would repent and be saved, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Who's Assyria? They're the folks that took, took away the, the, the whole northern kingdom. Of Israel. They did terrible things. They ran spikes through them and hung them in the ground so they would dangle there and be tortured. And then when they died, the, the birds would come and eat their flesh off of their bones. They would do horrible, horrible things. These were evil, ugly people. They were the ones I've talked about in the book of Psalms when they say, Blessed is he who dashes the children on the rocks. That was because 
This, this was a call for biblical justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, because that's what the Assyrians did. They came and they conquered you. They smashed your babies on the rocks just to, just to destroy you, to break you in spirit. That's who these guys were. That's who the Assyrians were. But God wanted to hold back his wrath and even sent a prophet to save them for a period of time. Who are we to judge? That was what Jonah was doing. That was the big, that was the big error in, in Jonah's thoughts. He wanted wrath to fall. He thought it would be best. In his humanness, even as a prophet, in his humanness, he thought it would be best for God just to go ahead and squish them. Go ahead and just wipe them off in the face of the earth. God, if you will do this. And see, we believe that this was even pre-exile. Who knows? If he just wiped out the Assyrians, who knows? Maybe the exile may not have happened. I don't know. But God even chooses to use patience but those that he knows that will be destroyed one day, like the Assyrians. Who is Jonah to question God? Who am I when he does that? We do that now. You know, it's easy for me to say, you know, while Osama bin Laden was still running around doing the stuff he, he was doing, doing like, well, God, why don't we just get him and squish him? Why did God allow him to continue to go on for a short period of time? We might be asking that questions now. God, why do you let Putin do what Putin's doing? You know, you know why do you let these people in Palestine do what they're, these, these Hamas people, why are you letting them do? Your wrath is going to fall on them. We know it's going to fall on them. They're coming against your people. They, they are opposed to the cross. They want to wipe your people off of the face of the earth. We know that wrath is coming for Hamas. Why are they still here? Because God and his sovereignty chooses when they will be destroyed and when they're not. And it is not our decision when that happens. And we can't second guess God. But we also need to understand because, because God uses people, that if he is now choosing Israel to wipe them off of the face of the earth, that may be, that may be what he's doing. This might be the, the end of Hamas. He might be using Israel to end the reign of Hamas in these places. Only God knows. And there's a side of me. There's a side of me that's thinking, yeah, God, get them. Get them. Go in there, root them out. Get them, God. Because I don't understand. I don't understand sometimes the mercies of God and his decisions. I don't understand the big picture, why he allows some things to happen and why he doesn't. But if this is their time, God, let use your people, Israel, to go squish them. I know that might not sound good from a pulpit, but that's just true. We are not... We are not the judge of man. God is their judge. But sometimes God uses people to exact his justice. And again, it's his election. It's his choice. What if he did this, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? We saw that in Nineveh. He gets spit out, Jenna gets spit out by the fish, goes in, 
Repent for the kingdom of God. Well, he didn't say repent for the kingdom of God. Your destruction is coming if you don't repent. Well, what do they do? They, they dressed up in sackcloth. They, 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 the king made them, made them you know, fast and all this stuff. The ashes go into a time of mourning. And God showed them his mercy. He made these awful people, awful by our standard, the object of his mercy. Because God understood God understood that they weren't as smart as the cows up on the hill. Isn't that what he said? There's the Greg version. You want to be so hard on them, they're, they're not as smart as the cows on the hill. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. He says that. So God understands these things when he chooses mercy. And he understands the whole picture when he chooses justice. Maybe he wanted to make the mercy known to the object of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. He who prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. God's election. Do you realize, if you're here, and you have Jesus in your heart, it's because God's election was to choose you. You can't find God on your own. You can't just go out in the field and just find God. He has to call you. You can't find, you can't know an unknowable God unless he reveals himself to you. So if you're sitting here and you've ever raised your hand and asked Jesus into your heart, and you've started reading the Bible, and you started following him, it's because God, and God in his election, and his sovereign choice, has just called you by your name. And that's why you're here. We before Jesus, the Bible tells us, are, were enemies of the cross. The Bible tells us we were children of Satan. We should have been the objects of his wrath. But he made his power known by showing his mercy to those to whom he should have shown justice. That's the kind of love he has for you. You know, do we want to question why God did or didn't do something somewhere else? We don't question why he called us. Well, sure, you called me because I'm an all right guy. You can't question him about some things and just be okay with others. God, God's sovereign choice. It's, it's, it's the real deal, and it's always for our best. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. Who's he talking about? Well, except for Eric. Who's he talking about? All of us. He has chosen to call us his people, us Gentile folks even though we were not his people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. So in all the places that people used to consider us outcasts, as Gentiles, heathens, and pagans, because of God's election, you have been called to be a child of God. And because of his election, you are children of the living God. 
so see this election thing, it really actually works for you. It actually works for you and not against you. We're getting ready to land this plane. We're going to look at somebody else, Isaiah. Man, my favorite prophet. I love Isaiah. I'll tell you, when I was in school, in one of my electives, I wanted so bad to take the book out of Isaiah as one of my electives. Because it's so big and scary, I thought, I'm going to get a bad grade. So I, I, I steered around it. But I, I did. I'll, I'll be honest. The book, there is so much in the book of Isaiah. I was dumb enough. I took Psalms. That was bad enough. Oh, yeah. My first day of class, I get a six-page paper. These are all the, these are all the forms of literature and, and, and uses of words and, and Psalms. Like, can I change my class? But Isaiah... My, my prophet hero cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites may be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. And I'll tell you that this, is, this will be one of the reasons, I guarantee you, to a non-believing Jewish person, why you would probably want to not buy into Paul as being legitimate. Because it, it is even a common theme, even in, in some of the, the Jewish scholars today. Even the ones who, I have a book written by a believer, a Jewish believer, who says the only reason Jesus came was because the Gentiles need saved. All the rest of us, all the Jews, we're saved. We're good. We're good to go. The whole Jesus thing, that was just for the Gentiles. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that even though there's lots and lots of Israelites, lots and lots of Hebrews, lots and lots of Jewish people, they outnumber the sand of the sea, but only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth and will, with speed and finality. You understand that that's what tribulation is all about? I completely derailed our Sunday school class and started talking about futuristic times. Actually, I blame Jim Ennis. He asked me a question. I, I blame Jim. Jim I, didn't, I didn't derail Sunday school. Jim Ennis did. It's always his fault. It's, always his fault. I always, it's, it's actually always my fault. But I blame Jim. I always blame Jim. And I can say that because he's upstairs serving our children. But when I was talking, we, we started talking about end times and things like tribulation and three-fourths of the world dying in such a short period of time. Do you realize that that is what tribulation is? If you're a pre-tribber like me, I believe, the, I believe that the Bible strongly, strongly points to the church being raptured before the, the, the junk really hits the fan. What is the purpose of Tribulation. It's the fire to refine his chosen people. It's the fire. It's the refining process. But even as the fire burns away the shaft, the remnant will stand. I know the Jehovah's Witnesses think that they're the 144,000 in, 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 in Revelation. I'm not exactly sure how they get that, though, because the 144,000 or 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the whole 144,000 
It's the remnant that will be saved through the fires. Even though there are many, many Israelites, only the remnant will be saved. And when judgment comes, when he carries out his sentence on earth, it will be done quickly and with great finality. You know what? The pre-Jesus Pharisees, the pre-Jesus rabbis, they weren't completely wrong about Jesus, what they expected him to be. What they didn't expect was a coming and a return. Because everything that the Jewish people believed about Messiah, it's true. But it's on his second trip. When he comes back, he will be wearing the white robe dipped in blood. He will come to wage war on the nations. He will save his remnant when the whole world is coming against her. She thinks she has problems with Hamas right now, and Halosaba, or whatever that thing is up north. It's nothing compared to this time when all the world will be coming against her. But he's going to be that Jesus they were expecting the second time. He's going to come back and wage war and save his people. So they weren't 100% wrong. They just didn't expect him to come like a lamb the first time. They were expecting him to come as the lion. Oh, the lion is coming. But, but he came first as the lamb. It's just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. If God hadn't elected to make us his descendants and his children, we would have been burnt up just like them. God's election. We question it. We don't get it. Sometimes we don't even like it. And we struggle with it. Why, why, why? Are you listening? Do you know what you're doing? Are you still up there? Jesus has been almost 2,000 years and you haven't come back yet. Are you really coming back? People ask these questions. But let me tell you what. It is that election. It is those choices that he makes. Is what has saved you. It is those elections and those choices that he's made that is going to save the remnant of Israel. It is those choices that those that after that time, during the millennial reign, when, when he, Jesus himself reigns over the earth and his people live in peace for a thousand years, it is, it is that his election that it makes these things possible. And even after judgment falls, when judgment falls on the wicked and the righteous are rewarded, it's because of that same election and that same sovereignty that makes these choices that we don't like, of why we're going to be in heaven rejoicing with him. So I'm telling you what, he makes good choices. He just does. We need to have the faith in him. 
We need to have the trust in him to know that he has our best, our best at heart, even through the hard stuff. And Sue and I have got stuff going on in our family that I'm saying, thinking, God, what? I don't understand. Don't understand how this could ever be good. I don't understand how you could ever turn this thing around. But I do have the faith to know that he is faithful. And even when it doesn't feel like it, he's not asleep. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. His eye is always on his people. Know that God loves you. And that he's watching out after you. That he's protecting you. Even if you get the cancer diagnosis, even if you love, you, you lose a loved one. Even if you get that diagnosis of something you're going to have to live with with the rest of your life. Where the people that you love don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. He's still in control. He's still watching. And he's still loving and taking care of you. That's where faith steps in.